Hi, this D-Dub, a.k.a. David Anthony, and we are ready for another episode of The Grip right here. And I'm so excited to have you tuning in to me today, man, and we have this moment, man, to be able to share. It's always great to have that wonderful moment to hang out with my peeps, man, and just do it in a real way. So we're real excited about it. I hope you're glad about it. I hope that you are excited for what's getting ready to happen. And man, we have had a crazy, 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 crazy week. Some crazy stuff has been going on, but nevertheless, here we are on the grip, gaining relevant, innovative perspectives. Once again, I am your host, David Anthony, a.k.a. D-Dub, senior servant leader of the greater Gethsemane AME Zion Chat. In the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, much love to my to my church family and to everyone who's tuning in. We just thank God for you and for everybody that uh, kind of hangs out with us. I've got today hanging out with me uh, a friend and a colleague that I'm glad to uh, um, be able to share with um, on the show on today. None other than Pastor Julian Pridgen from the St. Mark Amy Zion Church in Durham, North Carolina. What's going on, Pastor? All right. What's happening, man? Thank you for having me. Man, I can't call it, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just really trying to figure out how uh, we are making it through these first nine days in the new year. It has been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it, brother. And so we are so thankful uh, to have this opportunity to uh, uh, have you on the show. And, you know, we have not been crossing paths like we normally would have. Crisscrossing, doing the work that's been set before us. But we're here today, man, just to have a good conversation and to be able to hang out for a few minutes. And so I, I really appreciate you accepting the invitation to come hang out with me uh, here on The Grip and uh, to kind of dialogue just a little bit. So let's jump right in, man. This past week's been crazy, as I said before. So when you first saw, man, uh, Americans, persons just storming the Capitol building, man, what was the first thing that came through your mind when you mm. saw this sitting there on, you know, on national <clears throat> TV? I, I don't know, maybe you was probably just chilling or whatever it caught you and you just, it was breaking news, but what, what in the world came through your mind? Uh, as simple as that question is, is a tough question because immediately a barrage of thoughts came to mind. <clears throat> okay, all right. So, but, but, I, but I think I can um, narrow the first thought down to where in the heck is the security? Wow. Where is the security? We've right. been watching protesters all for the last, what, four years. Right. Uh, folk who look like us. Right. And when we get a permit, <clears throat> when we get a permit to come to town, mm -hmm. those people start arranging security. That's right. I mean, deep security. That's and, right. And uh, so, you know, long comment short, my first thought was where in the heck is the security? Right. Amazing. Yeah, because when you start looking at what has taken place and even as this story is kind of unfolding itself and individuals are 
uh, really starting to share more inter information and interview other individuals, you're finding out that it just seems like uh, they got a pass. You know, we're seeing video of gates being open. We're hearing that uh, persons who were involved, uh, who were supposed to be on duty, just didn't really care. Uh, it didn't bother them at all. So, I mean, I, I'm just yeah. thinking about, you know, what in the world that happened? Because I know, like you, I'm sitting here watching this, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just shocked. I mean, people are climbing buildings. Um, matter of fact, I tell you something that I saw earlier today. I they someone took a picture of a man urinating on the Capitol building. Mm -hmm. Now these are these are good Americans, right? These, these are good Americans. They've been labeled people. as as patriots, um, and of course, you know what has happened to us. I mean, uh, when we start. Uh, uh, when they start the conversation about us being up there, I'm talking about people of color, specifically right. African-Americans, the whole narrative changes. And so right. exactly. um, where, where you, I mean, now you've served in the military, you, you, you know what it means to defend that flag and to go forth. Did it, did it bother you? Um, Cause you know, we were hearing this thing about the knee and how athletes, you know, disrespected. Did you see disrespect on uh, this past week as it relates to the flag and, and what it means to you as being uh, a retired service person? Of course, of course I did. And um, I mean, this profound reminder that these were the same people who have criticized, um, you know, people kneeling for the national anthem and as we understand it, these people were kneeling out of a kind of res respect and expectation for uh, the powers to be to do something about so many black people being killed, uh, police brutality. But of course, most certainly, this was an, a grave disrespect to um, <clears throat> one of the places that America considers, if not the place that this country considers uh, a sacred place for right. for Americans, um, and and yet here we are being publicized and um, around the world uh, with this with this kind of shenanigan going on. Yes, indeed. Yes, very offensive. And I, and I'm sure that not only persons of color were offended as well. I mean that you're hearing, you know, the commentary. Um, and, and in some instances, we'll probably get into this a little later on, but I mean, commentary almost a little too late. I mean, at this point, now everybody wants to jump off the Titanic and want to run for cover and run for safety. What, what we got uh, 11 days left or something like that? I mean, really? I mean, you know, it's a little late to be deciding enough is uh, enough is enough and to go forth and to, to make it happen. You broke windows in the Capitol building. I mean, you went and put your feet up on um, a member of uh, Congress's desk. I mean, and nothing was done. I mean, about it at all. It just seems to be um, so, so crazy. If you're just tuning in, thank you so much for joining me in this deep dub. And I'm here on The Grip on this wonderful Saturday. And uh, certainly I've got Pastor Julian Pridgen with me from the St. Mark Amy Zion Church in Durham, North Carolina. And we're just sitting here dialoguing about the craziness, the foolishness that's happened this week in the United States of America with the world looking at us. And we're supposed to be the example. 
And somehow or another, that example is, is, has really turned upside down. We've been hearing a lot, uh, Pastor, this phrase about white privilege. And um, there's this rapper named uh, Macklemore, and he was, you know, he, he puts together this analogy in one of his songs about white privilege. And when, when you see and hear what has taken place now in retrospect or looking back and reflecting on 2020, how much do you think of what individuals got away with on this past week plays into the narrative of white privilege? All of it, brother. Uh, the whole thing is fundamentally driven by this idea of privilege. Mm. Those folk that we saw, for the majority, for the majority, I think we saw one uh, non-white. Uh, <laughs> we ain't gonna talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> somebody said we need somebody, to talk about it. We need to find out who he is. <laughs> somebody said the brother was lost. He was looking for a stimulus check. Yeah, that's what it was. He he yeah, was so yeah. angry. He he came up there to get his check. He wasn't in the crowd for the rest of that. <laughs> right. But all of it, I mean, at the root of it, it, it is this idea that we own this country. We own everything that you see. We right. own, this is, when, when they say this is the people's house, the people for them is them. Right. Uh, certainly not That's you. Powerful. Not That's I. powerful. That's right. So it's the, 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 the root of it is, um, is white privilege. This is ours. And, so certain, and certainly I know that you have, um, you know, you've got uh, kids and you've got nephews, I'm sure, and things. How do you explain to them about this? How have you explained to your daughter about this whole white privilege thing to be able to navigate through what, what, what's taking place? It's, it's the people's house, but, it, but you ain't the people's whose house it is. It's, it's the people's property, but you ain't the people whose property it is. Right. Right. Well, um, I think it, it 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 depends upon us teaching our children, our young people, the true history of this mm. country, and being honest about it, not cutting wow. in the corners. They may not get it at the schoolhouse. I don't know what's right. happening at school nowadays, but I know I didn't get the, right. get the kind of history about this country at school that I got from. Uh, Sunday school from church from folk who looked like me who told a very right. different version of the story. So we right. have to, it is imperative that we inform our young people about what that means in order to, uh, in order to negotiate it, in order to navigate it, in order to understand it, and in order to overcome it. <clears throat> yeah. And so when you start talking about overcoming it, how, how do you see or propose now? Uh, we've been wounded yet again. I mean, I, I'm thinking we thought we were, we were making some progress. You know, we were marching, we were, we were standing up saying enough is enough. And, you know, we just got wounded again. I mean, right. essentially, um, how, how, do, how do we set that in, in context um, for this younger generation who definitely does not see this the way many of us see? Because, you know, our foreparents, they were still on that, well, a better day is coming, bye-bye, you know, when the morning comes, it'll all, you know, be all right and going forth. You know goodness well, Pastor, because you got them in your congregation. They're not singing that same song about what's going on. They're infuriated about what 
you know, and not like we ain't mad and we ain't, we're not upset about it, but they're infuriated and they're responding. So how do we help them grapple with this right, this, this white privilege piece so they don't become unhinged? Right. Well, I mean, uh, the way you, the way you, the, the language that you use, we've been wounded again. Right. For me, and maybe it's because I'm a military guy, puts it in the context of a fight. Wow. Right? Uh, gotcha. And and if you're in a fight, you don't, in as much as you get wounded, you bandage your wounds, you get up and you continue to press forward. Uh, and I think that's what the answer is. I think, and I even, I think we have some demonstrations of that uh, with what we saw in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, uh, Reverend Warnock, um, the, the mere fact that Warnock is in the race, the mere right. fact that Abrams um, was uh, was beat when she ran for governor and uh, the way she was beat, but she comes back and helps to uh, helps her brother Warnock and others get into office to me is turning that anger inside out and using right. it for good to help instead of um, the other way. And I'm glad that you said that because that's something key for us as African-Americans. Stacey Abrams turns around and she decides to help, you know, her party for the good of the cause. And she works and she's not even running. You know, there's nothing she's going to get out of this. I mean, I think she's been considered for some cabinet places, um, and, and but I don't think that's what she wanted to do. She stays in the trenches in the fight to see this thing through. And this brother gets in. And I'm glad you mentioned her name because essentially this past week, we've got this brother uh, who is out in Tennessee. He's a college football coach. He's a lineman. Um, and the articles are out there. Uh, last name of the gentleman is Malone. And he, he actually says um, and calls Stacey Abram Fat Albert and, and then goes on to say about her, I hope that you enjoy the buffet because um, you helped once again to cheat in an election. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we continue to have to, to put up with. I mean, we uh, the presidential election, the candidate won. It was our preferred candidate. You said it was rigged. Then you right. turn right back around and you come to a runoff and you win again. So how in the world, I mean, how can it be rigged? What, what do you think is going through these people's minds when they're posting this kind of stuff on social media? Uh, like this gentleman does about a figure like Stacey Abrams and you know who she is and what she means to so many um, uh, people of color right now. What, what do you think is going through a person's mind when they post that kind of trash? Well, the first thing that I think about uh, Reverend Williams is uh, uh, the the spoiled brat mm. playground kid. Wow. Who uh, legitimately loses the basketball game and gets angry. Right, right. Gets right. angry. And, uh, and this is the only way that he or she can express their anger. Wow. Um, we, when I, about 25 years ago, I've been thinking about this the last few days. I, I was in a political science course and mm -hmm. um, the book that we were reading referred to the political scientists of that day and the sociologists of that day saying that 
in about 20 or 30 years, which puts us where we are now. Um, they were saying, they're talking in this language about the browning of America. Wow. And yes. we talked about the implications that would come with that. And mm -hmm. one of those implications, of course, is that these people who consider themselves to be the icons of white privilege, they are not going to take it easily. It's not easy for them. And if I have a sympathetic um, uh, nerve in my body, it is because of the fact that they have been in power for so long. They've been socialized right. that way. Right. You know, it, so it, it, it's unfathomable for them mm. to see what's happening now. They cannot rationalize it. They can't, they can't understand it. Why is this happening? And, right. uh, and the only way that they can express it is what we're seeing, anger and words that make absolutely no sense and words that have no contextual uh, connection with what's going on. What does that have to do? What did he, his, his comments were so darn childish. What did that right. have to do with what's going on right. around us? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the <laughs> way that he said it, and, and then I was reading some of the comments, this was a Twitter post and I was reading some of the comments under it. And then people were taking to the, uh, to the, um, they were, uh, individuals were saying, oh, we're going too far with this. And every time somebody says something, the first thing people are hollering, they need to be fired. Now you've worked in um, uh, administration and other, and other um, um, venues and things before. And you know that when you take on the title of being something for an institution, you also take on whatever the requirements are for them when you are on the job and when you are off the job, I mean, if you're a school teacher, you know, and you at Walmart, you still a school teacher. That's right. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you, you can't just put it on and take it off and then go forth. So if you work for an institution that's trying to reconcile with all this craziness and you got a football team full of black young men striving to be something else just besides a football player and you the lineman coach, you, how, how in the world do you think this is getting ready to work out for you and you calling somebody out they name and making those kinds of comments about them? It just seems preposterous that individuals just think that they can post that kind of rhetoric and then get away with it and, and not realize the kind of damage that um, that is essentially being, being done. I like what you were saying or the comments you made about your political science uh, class. And you said 25 years ago that you were studying about the browning of America. Yes. 25 yes. years ago, you were talking about the browning of America, which says that there are people who, who uh, don't look like us, who understand that the grounds that we call the United States are changing. Right. That's right. I would submit to you that the grounds have changed. Oh, oh. We, we have maintained the power. We have the power, the right. brown, the brown vote. Right. Uh, it just so happened that in this past election, we exercised the power right. that we've had. Right. I think it's happened. Wow. And I think that's important for us to continue to communicate to audiences and in small conversations and places where we are that we are not the people that we were 50 and 60 years ago. 
Exactly. We are standing on our forefathers' shoulders and John Lewis and, and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and persons that did so much for us to get to where we are. We have to recognize, but we are not at the point where we're going to let somebody take a fire hose and water us down oh, and, no. and think that we're not going to fight back. No, no, we ain't at that point, no. And we're not <laughs> going back to that point where that's going to happen. And our hearts are grateful. I mean, I'm grateful. I know you are too, that they had the fortitude to be able to withstand that kind of injustice yes. um, and, and going forth um, and, and, and making that happen. But when we start talking about the tension of the browning of America and the clash that's going on, because that's what I think I see, you know, uh, because it's already happened, we're feeling the clash. Do you think that clash will lead us to uh, a civil war? Do you, do you think that it's going to get to the point where, where you know, uh, within America, we, we start really going at one another because one side is just not willing to, to say that um, uh, we, we need to be able to recognize everybody as, as equal and as important? Yeah. Uh, Reverend, I, my opinion is, is that I, I certainly hope not, uh, and I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, those that we saw storming the Capitol building the other day, all and, right, um, you know the kinds of idiotic comments that the um, fellow from Tennessee made the other day. Right. I think that those kinds of thoughts are becoming a minority, and um, they they are there. They do exist, but I don't think it's as big as they would like to think that they are, those right. thoughts. Right. And I would also apply that to this uh, threat of a civil war. I, I just don't, I don't think that that's going to happen. And if it does, they, um, they, they, better, they better not bring it down to the hood because the hood oh. is fortified. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely don't think that they, they, that they don't know that the hood is definitely got something in the trench and just waiting for you to come down to <laughs> Kind of stuff right there. That's that's definitely not going to going to be. Um, I was listening to the leader of uh, the Black Lives Matters movement, um, Patrice uh, Collier, um, and she was talking about if that had been us, and I know you've been hearing this, that had done what they did, we would have been met with all types of opposition, shot with rubber bullets. There would have been more tear gas um, and all of this thing that that um, that we saw out on the streets um, um, that they were able to get away with. We would have seen more of that taking place. Uh, when we start talking about democracy, and I just want to get in that for Black America, and you see that particular scene, how then do we as leaders try to help diffuse that whole that whole point? when we start having that conversation about um, if that had been us, what we believe they would have done um, to us um, if that had been us. How do we, we kind of talk with persons who don't look like us about that particular scene right there and why we feel that way? Well, I think we, uh, uh, I'll start with the end of your comment. I think we feel that way because of what we've seen and how we've been treated. 
Gotcha. Uh, as I stated earlier, the day that the BLM people would have gone to get a permit to protest mm -hmm. right. would have been the same day that the security folk would have called for extra forces. Black Lives Matter people or any of us of any associate or sympathizer with that idea would have never gotten that close to the Capitol building. Now there might have been some bloodshed, but it would have been far away. They'd have never gotten through the barricades because that right. place would have been so fortified with security until we could not have gotten closer. So I'm right. saying what I'm saying is is that our brown skin brings a kind of threat that makes mm. other folk prepare long before we get there. Right. Now, now it, but but the, the flip oh, side bro. of that coin is, is how do we combat um, that uh, perception of us right. is to continue doing the good things that we've been doing. Now, right. some of us, um, you and I know that Black Lives Matter is a nonviolent group. Right. And the violence that happened, happened on the, uh, on the, um, uh, the, the, the outside of what was going on um, um, at the core of, 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 that, of those marches. Right. And uh, the, the conservative news took those negative incidents and with their loud mouths mm. made this big situ situation out of it. So right. to answer your question, I think as long as we continue to do the good things that we're doing right that we've been doing and living good and treating people the way we want to be treated that uh i think i i believe and somebody of course could argue with this that we are now on a course to continue to fight right but we and we have others with us now who see that this has all been just a bunch of um bunch of lies about a right. culture of people and right. um uh, you know, I think we should, we, we just need to press forward, press forward. And I like that about pressing forward, um, because if we, if we continue to just stay in the narrative of what has happened and how we've been treated, that's almost what I think is being expected of us. Um, I don't want us to forget the activities and the things that have taken place, but you know, we've been right. hearing in We've been hearing Article 25. Well, there, there, I think I said this earlier, it's only like 10 more days. I mean, you know, essentially, there's, 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 it's almost like, can we get through these 10 days and, and you pack <laughs> your stuff up and just go right on down to Florida, wherever you going, and give somebody else a, another, uh, give somebody else an opportunity to heal this country? Because Help me out a, a little bit, Pastor. I, I believe we need healing in this country. I, I think I think we have gone through, we have been scarred for four years. And I don't think it's just people of color that have been scarred. I, I think that there are um, just people who are Americans, period, who have been lied to, who have been told um, some of the craziest stuff and have followed this, uh, the narrative of a, of a leader who whose intention wasn't really to do good by everybody. So, exactly. um, you know, the approach to, our approach to uh, going forward uh, is, is necessary right now, because if we, if we stay in the past, uh, then we won't even give this new administration an opportunity because the first time something goes wrong, we'll be like, oh, there we go, here we go. Um, and and, and we're, we're never going to get anywhere. 
uh, with, with that kind of rhetoric going. Listen, if you're just tuning in, you are sharing right here on The Grip. Uh, I am your host, David Anthony, and I am so excited to be uh, having this dialogue uh, with my brother, um, from Durham, North Carolina, St. Mark, Amy Zion Church, Pastor Julian Fridgen. And uh, man, uh, Fridge, man, you uh, uh, spent some time in my home city. Uh, oh, yeah. The great K-Town. Yes, sir. North Carolina. So when you heard that Kirsten was hosting the president for a rally, Man, were you blown away by that piece when you found out that he came, to, <laughs> that, that Pence came to um, to Kinston, North Carolina? Were you shocked? I mean, because you spent, uh, what, almost 20 years in Kinston? Yeah, I did, 19 years. Um, 19, so you know Kinston well. You 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 know Washington Street. You know, uh, you you know you you know the town, Vernon Avenue. You know, you know the city, the Noose River, and what happens when the water down there in the Noose comes up. I mean, you know about the flooding that takes place in Kinston yeah. and the new development and everything. So were you shocked when, when that happened? Yes and no. Okay. But more, more, more no than yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I think Kinston, which is indicative of so many cities, uh, the African-American presence is, is more urban. And, 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 and of course, um, I guess I would say, and I don't like using these words, but more liberal, uh, whereas the outskirts of the city, the county areas right. are more conservative. I got you. Um, I got you. And even neoconservative with the constitutionalists and the Tea Partiers, all right. of those. Uh, are really densely populated in the surrounding areas of uh, Kinston, the lower county, uh, right. the connecting counties, Duplin right. County. And I got you. It, it was really a good place for Trump to come because he had uh, access to three or four different counties that kind of converged together. Right. They could fly the plane in on that big runway and right. folk would drive over to see it. Right. So it was a good move on his part. Right. Um, but yeah, man, that <laughs> when I heard it, man, I was like, man, this, this is wild. A pit, if you told when I heard they went to Pitt County Greenville, I wasn't shocked, but when they flew into Kinston, I was like, okay, wow, man, this is this is really crazy to, to you know to kind of see you know what's going on. But I mean, it 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 allows us to uh make sure that we stay woke about what's really going around us. And what's really taking place, and um, so I, I just brought that up because I know we got that Kinston connection, and um, and so Haiti K Town and everybody uh, that's in the surrounding areas from from down east down there, and all that kind of good stuff, and um, that that's happening. Listen, before we get out of here, Warnock has uh, made it to the Senate. It was a long journey for him. And if you were watching the results and how it kept flipping back and forth, and then finally it just settled in, and uh, you know it was, it was, um, you know, his victory. Um, do you think that um, um, as you look back at you know kind of how things kind of played out, do you think that his opponent really hurt herself? and attaching herself to Trump, or do you think that Warnock just worked his plan 
um, and the people just got behind him and and brought him over the uh, the finish line. Yeah, I'm gonna straddle the fence again, Reverend, and say both. <laughs> I'm going to say both. I okay. think uh, with with the help of uh, Abrams and all of the good people in Georgia, uh, along with the insightful and um, you know very wise work of Reverend Warnock and his people, they ran. Um, they ran a um, outstanding campaign, no, no question about it. Warnock also demonstrates himself as a person who will represent his state and his state is everybody, right? Right. Whereas this other lady has this record of favoring um, Mr. Trump and just though that crowd that goes along with that philosophy. So yes, yeah, she hurt herself but on the other side, Warnock and those ran um, an, a genius uh, plan to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I mean, kudos uh, to the whole Georgia uh, machinery. We, uh, we need to take notes. We, we need to study Georgia for in the next two years for when these midterm elections come up. Maybe we really learn from them what they've been mm -hmm. doing and how they've been making it happen because they certainly have taught us some stuff that we need to pay attention to in terms of rallying. I just want to say to the Grip family, voting ain't over. So we, we won a presidential election. Um, Georgia pushed uh, so that the, the, the um, it's tied now 50-50 um in, in in the senate and so but that that's not enough if we turn around in two years and mess around and lose some seats then we're going to be right back where we were and the president will be able to do no policy and i keep trying to tell people that that uh the the, the president is the figurehead and he's the mouthpiece but them people in the house in the senate are the ones that make the policy and we've right. got to have people who are making the policy. If we want stuff to change for us, we got to have representatives who are going to get in there and fight for the policies to be changed. Um, right. And not just hearing him talk about it. Somebody got to be in there doing that grit work. And so, That's you right. know, I, 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 I really, I'm really excited to see what's getting ready um, to take place and, and, and to make it happen. Pastor, I appreciate you joining me today, man, just to kind of talk through this crazy crazy kind of week. I'm going to leave you. We're going to leave on this question here. Somebody said, well, and I just said it myself. There's only 10 days left. But in your mind, if you, I'm the, you know, that that uh, uh, that group that says in your mind, you know, they be, they be going forth in my mind. So if, in, in your mind, I, I'm trying to wonder what, what could, what could, what could Trump the Trump now? What could Trump do now? That would just, that would really just, in these last 10 days, that would just make this thing just like, we can't even believe in Phantom that we have gotten to this point. Because he's still got 10 days left, and he ain't, it doesn't really appear like he's going there. Trump still has the power, and, and we, we, we shouldn't forget this. Trump still has the power to start a world war. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, wow. He's got 10 days of 10 wow. possibilities to do something super stupid that we'll never forget uh, as long as we live. So ain't no telling in that mind. There, there's That's no telling. 
in that mind and that machinery that he has going on around DC or at the White House. Yeah. I, I have to agree with you. And I think that uh, the people that pray, the prayer warriors need to be praying. People just need to get on. Yeah. Uh, and and as, uh, as the mothers and fathers old were saying, well, not just don't pray, but watch. You're gonna have to keep your right. minds open and keep and and keep uh, uh, make sure that you know what's going on around you because there's just no telling of what's taking uh, taking place. He said he wasn't coming to inauguration, but that don't mean that his people not gonna show back up to create to try to create some um, controversy right. and mess in, in in DC. You just you have no earthly idea what's gonna go on, and I. Uh, it's, it's sad that we have come to this place. I mean, we have seen presidents, I guess, let's see, for me, I guess the best one I can really remember that it got attached to me when I was a kid. I didn't really know much about Nixon, but Jimmy Carter would have been, you know, that started me really knowing he was president. We have not seen the foolishness and the shenanigans and the kind of stuff that has gone on with all the other presidents. If they lost, they just packed their stuff and they went on. You know, and they were there to shake the next person's hand, and and they went on, and uh, and I guess we'll never see him uh, walk with Obama and Bush and and Clinton, and there there won't be no photo op with them for nothing. And they ain't mad. Amen. <laughs> no, ain't no, nobody no, mad. <laughs> nobody's mad. No, nobody. I don't want to see him anymore. <laughs> and you and you're right. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, he just needs to just fade off into the distance, let the country heal, and us move on um, to doing what we need to do. We've been talking about, you know, democracy and, and Black America. We've been talking today about uh, shenanigans and the foolery and the craziness that has gone on at the White House and the Capitol building and all these things that have taken place. And I'm sure that you have been impacted by it this week as well. But listen, I want you to be encouraged to know that, uh, hey, the man upstairs has promised to never leave us or to forsake us. I'm thankful to a God that's been watching over us. And uh, truth, uh, truth really is, it could have been worse, but his hand blocked it. And that's the thing that we've always got to remember that God is still you know, working um, and, and going forth and uh, and making some things happen. And this is, Pastor, um, so so much biblical. I know we were trying to get out of here, but, did, but check this out. When you think about it, every now and then, Israel ended up in the hands of a king that did not know who God was and did not respect anything about God at all. And the people yeah. suffered because the king was so attached to pagan ways and pagan behaviors. So right. it's going to be interesting to see us move from uh, someone who has no regard for people, no regard in his conversation and his dialogue with individuals, and move on to someone whose temperament is different in terms of showing empathy and compassion and, and love and trying to pull uh, a number of people together to make some stuff happen. I think our future is bright, it's hopeful uh, with where we're going with Biden and with Harris uh, for these next four years. Pastor, you have any closing words before we go? I would like to say that I, it is my prayer that young black folk um, have had a kind of revival or restoration or an epiphany 
as it relates to our voting power in America. Ah. I know for a fact I have two uh, 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 young adult children who were disillusioned with the voting process, didn't believe wow. in it, and didn't practice it. Mm. But I hope that what we've seen with what went on in Georgia and, and across the nation this year, that young people will be um, more inspired to participate in the political process because we do have the power, but it doesn't matter if we don't exercise the power. Right. Well, certainly, I, I think that's an excellent note to end on today because, you know, if we don't get out here and vote in the coming midterm elections, if we just go back to we think it's the same way, same way, then we're not going to move democracy for Black America any further than where it is. And I think we have that responsibility. Thank you, Pastor Fridgen, for joining Man. me today and being a part of uh, what we got going on. Grip family, we'll be right back here next Saturday, new season, 12 noon is where we're going. And we certainly will have another Power Pack show for you, some more guests and some more things happening right here. So keep it in tune, keep it on lock, and uh, we'll be looking to uh, hang out with you a little later on. Fridgen, we appreciate it, man. Take care and uh, have a good one, all right? Thanks again, man. Thank Peace. All right. Thank you, Grip family, for hanging out with me right here. And I tell you, man, I'm so excited about this new season and everything that we got going on. So keep it on the lockdown and I'm going to keep it real right here with you. All right. I'm out. Peace.